Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I've created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of Mike Lee, as recommended by Tyler Smith of Battleship Retention, and in this week's episode, I'll be wrapping up by talking about his 2008 film, Happy Go Lucky. And no discussion of happy, well, I guess every discussion of happy-go-lucky begins and ends with Sally Hawkins, um, who received uh, a plethora of nominations for her performance in this film. An Oscar nomination, I believe she won the Golden Globe for it, and it makes sense because, um, as weird as it sounds, it's incredibly difficult to play this character, which is strange because, um, on the one hand, she's kind of a one uh, a one-dimensional character at least in the sense of how she just is kind of defined as as the title of the film suggests just this very jubilant uh bubbly happy-go-lucky character and that's it doesn't seem like that's that difficult except when you think about it, it actually is kind of difficult to do that because she has to play this character in such a way where she is consistent and she has a consistent attitude and uh, philosophy and worldview that doesn't come across as over the top or even grating. Um, you know, her, her positivity is infectious, but it does kind of start out as a little bit, um, not even gimmicky, but you just kind of wonder, or at least I kind of wonder when I was watching this, what is it, what is it about this person? What is it about this character? There has to be something else to it. I mean, including that opening scene in which we fi- in which we first are introduced to her. She comes into this bookstore and she's trying to kind of make jokes and idle chit chat with this bookkeeper who clearly has no interest in what she uh, is trying to sell. Um, figuratively, comes out and finds that her bike has been stolen and she just kind of rolls with it and keeps going. And and I just it sets it up as though there has to be something more to this. Or at least what I was thinking was that. At one point, there has to be, um, uh, there's another shoe that's going to drop, or there's going to be some type of revelation, or there's going to be a breaking point, or something is going to bubble up until eventually you see her being so happy-go-lucky is a mask for something, or is covering up something, and I just kept waiting for that, and, and I think it's it's undoubtedly because, you know, the previous film I had seen in this uh, was, uh, in this series was Secrets and Lies, in which there just kind of is this, like, I, as I described last week, this sort of ticking time bomb, and just kind of waiting until there's this reveal, and uh, all these feelings are released, and, and, and the cracks finally split, and... Everything that's been um, underneath the surface kindly finally comes up to the surface, and I kept waiting for that. Um, and, and I remember, kind of, when I was watching this movie, I kind of finally straightened up when uh, in, in the scene where um, she uh, meets with her sister and her brother-in-law. You know, her, her pregnant sister, who is um, wildly misinterpreting her attitude as sort of judging um, her for not being as happy as Poppy is. And I, I, I kind of sat up straight and I thought, okay, here here it is. Here's here's where the, the class tension is going to come to a head. Here's where Poppy's happiness is going to be revealed as a farce. Here's where I'm going to ultimately see the thesis of this film that Mike Lee is trying to support. And I did see that, but the thesis of the film that he's trying to support is just that Poppy is a happy positive individual in all regards and 
that is a challenging thing to pull off because she has to be, play this character in such a way where she is not coming across as grating, but where she's coming across as endearing. And I suppose if you're a cynical person, if you if you find that you identify a bit more with, well, I don't know if you identify is necessarily the right word, but I guess if you see a bit more truth in your approach to the world in, in Eddie Marsden's Scott character versus uh, the Poppy character, then I could see how Sally Hawkins might be kind of annoying to you. But um, while at first, like I said, I, I was a bit skeptical and kind of found it a little bit annoying, it, 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 she grew on me. She, she turned out to be this, not even turned out to be, but I, I, I turned out to be incredibly open and receptive and just delighted with the, the person that she is. You know, I guess in reality, it's the kind of person that I, I wish I could be, this kind of person who is so positive and who brings this positivity to every single regard. Um, she is a, a person who who wants other people to have that attitude as well, and, and she wants that attitude to change um, the lives of others. We we see we see the the scene where there there's a the troublesome student who is uh, physically um, and and you know verbally bullying some of her other students, um, and she treats that that child with grace and with love and affection and, and just kind of. Um, tries to connect with him on, on his level and not tries to punish him, not tries to be cruel to him, but tries to instead be this affectionate, supporting character. And we do see that the student responds to that. And that's just her approach to everything. That's her approach to every person. That's her approach to um, the world. And it's fascinating to me how that, that, that attitude, that approach, isn't changed or tainted at all when she meets Scott, as played by Eddie Marsden. And I'm a fan of Eddie Marsden. I've, I've seen, not a lot, but I've seen a good deal of his past work, and it's mostly been comedies. He, of course, was um, in uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes series as Inspector Lestrade. Um, he was in uh, Edgar Wright's The World End. Um, I had also known him because of his uh, his role, his dramatic role in... Um, uh, two of the, uh, the the films from the Red Riding Trilogy, 1974 and 1980. So I was a fan of Eddie Mars, and I was prepared to be a fan of him in this movie. And he is great, but he is also great playing, similarly, a one-dimensional character, but a, a one-dimensional character. And I want to be clear, I, I don't say that as a pejorative, um, one-dimensional. I mean, he, he kind of has his one... Um, his his attitude and his worldview and his philosophy, he has that. He's very clear with that, and that's what he plays throughout the end. There, there's no real character arc for him, um, and it's a bit upsetting because basically his character is he's a he's a racist incel. Um, let's be honest with ourselves. And when that revealed itself, and when that became clear of who he was and how he was going to, and that the fact that he was going to be regularly interacting and regularly talking with. Sally, uh, I'm sorry, with Poppy, I was incredibly nervous that this film was going to give him, I won't say I was nervous that the film was going to give him a character arc, but I was incredibly nervous that the, that his attitude was going to change Poppy, and not for the, not in the negative sense, but more in the sense of, you know, we, we see in films recently, um, Best of Enemies and Green Book, where it's like, hey, here's this, um, racist, vile character, but this character is also going to change our protagonist because they can learn from each other. Sure, this racist, vile character is going to go through his own character arc where he learns that his worldview is 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 wrong and, and, and how he has hurt people, but also something about this um, hurt uh, um, 
angry character is also going to change our protagonist for the better as well. They're, they're going to learn from each other. And, it, and it's, a, it's a relationship which I'm a little bit uncomfortable with. And so I was nervous that this was going to happen here, not just because of, of, of uh, recent films that have done that, but also just because, let's be honest with ourselves, um, Lee doesn't exactly condemn his uh, less savory characters. He, he certainly doesn't support them, but uh, as, as we've been discussing throughout this entire series... He just wants us to kind of observe them, and not necessarily to draw our, our own conclusions, but he just kind of wants them to be, um, you know, with their own context, with their own hang-ups. He just wants them to be in this world and just kind of see how the characters interact with them. So I was a little bit worried that this character was going to get a, um, not a redemption arc, but that uh, part of his redemption arc would also involve the, you know, a, a growing and a changing on our character, on our protagonist's behalf, because of, you know, some type of truth that he carries, which is somehow going to um, influence her. And to my delight, Lee didn't do that. Um, Poppy remains basically the same at the end of the film as she is at the beginning of the film, and Scott remains basically the same at the end of the film uh, as he is at the beginning of the film, arguably kind of a little even worse off for the wear, at least in his regard, because of how he clearly had an affection for this character who basically cut her out of his or cut him out of her life because he was an unhealthy person um and, and I, I genuinely believe that this happens that this relationship unfolds in such a way because poppy is um a thoroughly to her core a positive and happy individual and recognizes this character cannot be in her life anymore because, not just because, well, uh, I, I think there's it's two reasons. I think, one, she realizes, I can't do anything to change this person. Like I said, we kind of saw with her interactions with one of her troublesome students earlier in the film, she clearly has an affection for these kind of people and, and wants to do what she can to help them, to help them change and to help them be positive. I think she does take that approach just to Scott and what he interprets uh, as her trolling him in, in the fact that she's constantly kind of making jokes and kind of taking a little bit of a, um, a flippant attitude towards her driving lessons, I don't think is her actually trolling him as much as it's her trying to just get him to lighten up a bit and not take things so seriously and not be such an angry person. So I think she does want to see him change and, and recognizes that I'm not going to be able to change this person. I'm, there's nothing I can do for him. But also she recognizes it's going to be unhealthy for me to keep this person in my life. Now, it is a professional relationship. He is a driving instructor, but it is a weekly exposure to this poison and to this toxic person. And she does realize, I, I can't have this in my life anymore. Now, I was still worried, even at the very end, when he's tearfully kind of trying to um, evoke something out of her, you know, he, he's trying to get it. He's, he's almost trying to, to kind of generate pity for himself when he's asking like, Hey, that, that boy, that guy that I saw you with, that's your boyfriend. Right. And like, like he's, he's trying to make her feel very bad for him. He's trying to kind of lure her back into this, this downward spiral, uh, uh, that ultimately would be this relationship by kind of trying to make her feel bad. Uh, you know, this, this is a, this is an Intel tactic of like, you know, feel bad for me, come back into my world because of you being this, wonderful, beautiful, uh, boisterous woman makes me feel bad about myself. So come back into my world and make me feel better because this is, this is your fault. This is something you've done. The fact that I feel bad right now is your fault. And she doesn't really say a lot, but we just kind of see on her face the processing, the, the kind of the pain that she feels because she, in my mind, she's coming to this recollection of, I have to cut this guy loose because this guy 
is toxic. This guy is going to be a bad influence, and she does, and she discontinues the driving lessons, and we and we, we're you know we're led to believe she never sees him again. And I was very happy that that's where the film went because, like I said, I was kind of nervous that it was going to be this this grand reconciliation at the end where it's sort of like yeah, well you know he is a he's kind of a shithead character, and he he doesn't really like black people, and he um, also has a troublesome attitudes towards women. But you know. Gosh darn it, wasn't there just something that was so charming and endearing about him? And, and, and it's, it's very clear, like, no, no, he was not charming. Um, she needed to get him out of her, out, out of her life. And, and I, was, I was quite pleased with that. Um, and and the, i got to be honest, I went through a little, not a, a mini existentialist crisis, but kind of like an internal uh, examination or re-examination is sort of uh, this question of what do I look for when I am watching a movie, or what do people look for when I'm watch when when they're watching movies? Because the fact that both characters basically remain the same at the beginning of the film to the end of the film, the fact that there is no real arc kind of challenges a lot of things that I look for in in movies in the sense of like what I'm looking for is that is that character arc is that like is our protagonist different at the beginning at the end of the film than he or she was at the beginning of the film um what external and internal factors have gone into that uh growth have, have contributed to that tension and that conflict which ultimately leads to this this character arc and we don't have much of a character arc in this film poppy as i said basically remains the same throughout she is a consistent force basically she is the force of change um the forces of change do not affect her um she changes the world around her and it's an uh it's it's not dramatic but it's a it is a subtly subversive and different approach to a film and it, and it, it sort of had me go down this this uh, this kind of reexamination of of Mike Lee and what he's doing with movies and what am I looking for in movies because here I am getting an enjoyment out of this thing and which kind of goes against the um the kind of the standard thing that I'm looking for in a movie and also I I, I guess I, I realize I tend to be sort of a not a purist <clears throat> per se but I guess sort of a um, traditionalist when it comes to um, the filmic art. Um, and what I'm looking for and what I kind of hold up to be, you know, uh, typifying what, what, a, what a, a great film can be. And that, and that typically tends to be that one that goes through the three-act the, the three structure where we do have this character um, development, as I just talked about. But also, um, this is a weird equivalency to make, but I'm going to make it anyway because um, it's my podcast. And also because uh, this movie's at the forefront of my mind because I was uh, watching it on the elliptical when I was at the gym the other day. But in Goodwill Hunting... Um, we have that first meeting between um, Sean and Will, and Will kind of talks shit about his painting, um, you know, eventually kind of uh, is very presumptuous about Sean and his wife, um, which upsets the Sean uh, Robin Williams character very much, and, and he kind of has that, that, that wonderful speech when he's talking to Will, and kind of he, he realizes, like, hey, I stayed up half the night thinking about what you said about my painting until I had one simple thought, and then I, and then I, I drifted off into sleep, and I never thought about you again. Um, and for him, that one thought was like, you're just a punk kid, you don't know shit. And that helped him eventually get, get to sleep and realize he didn't have to spend so much mental energy on this child. Um, and for me, it was basically just like different strokes for different folks, I guess. Like I was, I was thinking for, I was thinking so hard, like, oh, well, you know, what is Lee trying to do and, and, and why is his approach this way? And what does it say about me or what does it say about people if they respond to this, this kind of film versus other blah, blah, blah. Until I eventually just realized like, Hey, the, the, the whole thesis or not even thesis, I guess, but the whole point of this podcast is basically like your, you know, is to say to people your opinions and your uh, 
artistic endeavors and your what you find um, valid in art like is just as valid as the next person. Um, so to, to kind of come into that realization of like, hey, the, you know, it, it may be different, but it's still good. Doesn't say anything good or bad. It just says there are different ways to approach this thing, and different people are going to be able to uh, elicit different reactions from you, and that's fine. Um, and so just to kind of, <laughs> and so just to kind of have that very simple and yet uh, profound reminder for me, basically, that it's like, yeah, this is different, but just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad or good. Um, and uh, I can still enjoy something which is a bit outside of the mold of what I've come to expect or relate to. That's not anything that's going to be revolutionary or earth-shattering. That just is. That's just how it's going to be with art. And then I kind of settled myself down and um, and uh, and and was at, at peace with it basically. Um, and and I, but I I, do, I will say that I um, I you know. There was some subjectivity here. I did kind of bring my own um, interpretation or baggage to it, if you will. Uh, re- rereading the um, Roger Ebert's review of this um, movie, I-, I found that I- that we kind of had differing interpretations when it came to one scene in particular, the scene in which Poppy approaches a, a homeless guy. And I will say at this point um, in the movie, I was kind of, I wasn't tuned out, but it wasn't a scene that I was paying the greatest attention to. Um, but I, I it-, it is a scene which is sort of a... Um, I think a microcosm of what um, of what and who Poppy is and what this film is trying to do. Um, I approach this scene as though this was a uh, a, a a significant or definitive uh, marker in her development as a character, um, whereas Ebert just interpreted it as basically kind of this is par for the course. Whereas, ba- okay, so the scene is basically if you don't remember, um, she's approaching uh, at night. She approaches a homeless person. Uh, you know, one of those. Uh, a, a type of person who there clearly is something a, a bit uh, unwell with him, so he is mumbling gibberish to himself over and over again, and she talks to him and tries to kind of have a conversation with him, and it seems to have some type of effect, like he's cognizant of the fact that there is um, an interaction going on, but um, it's not really that coherent. And so, you know, when they when she walks away or he walks away, it's basically sort of like he's still kind of mumbling to himself, so nothing really has changed, but she has extended kind of some care and affection to this character by giving him the time of the day by trying to engage him in conversation by treating him as a human being now ebert interpreted this scene as sort of um uh uh, hey this this may be this may be the first time in his life that this character has has um encountered this kind of uh, not happiness has encountered this time of this type of intimacy this type of human interaction that this this may be the first time in this person's life where um, another human being has approached him as though he is another human being and that is an interesting read but because as I just said like I, I come to to film art as, as sort of this I, I'm looking for if not a, a, st- a strict three-act structure the kind of movies that I respond to are the ones that have an arc are the ones where we have those scenes where we kind of can define as these um, emotionally uh, significant scenes because of how they get uh, how they get this person um, to their next spot on their journey. And as I just kind of said, I think the journey, or, or, or in order for this, the film to make more sense to me, the journey that I feel that Poppy is going through is the, is, is the acceptance, the uh, revelation of an acceptance of the fact that she is not going to be able to change and affect 
everyone. Um, this is something she is quite used to because her friends love her, her students love her, a lot of these people love her, but then she is met with this equal yet opposite force of such intense anger and hatred in Scott that eventually she is sort of realizing that this is not a, a force I can change. This is not an attitude I can change. And I think that one step that gets her to that revelation and, and being able to accept that is this interaction with this homeless guy. Because I interpreted this scene as she is trying to extend affection. She is trying to extend humanity to this person, but it's just because of factors that are outside of, of her control, because of um, maybe emotional or mental distress that this guy is having that is not being treated by medication or anything because he is a, um, a homeless person, that there's nothing that she can really do to fully get through to him. That when they part, he is basically the same as he was before they met because she can only do so much at that moment in his life, basically, as two strangers kind of just meeting up for a, a brief uh, social interaction. Um, so two different interpretations, but, um, you know, I, I, in my opinion, both are valid. And, and, and I fully um, admit that mine comes from this spot of wanting there to be indicators or scenes in a movie that get uh, that, that indicate a, an emotional journey for our character. Um, now, whether you believe that Poppy went through an emotional, an emotional journey, whether you believe that Poppy changed at the, from the beginning of the film to the end of the film is entirely up to you and entirely subjective and, as I have been trying to say, um, is just as valid as uh, my um, interpretation and opinion as well. Um, uh if you want to um, take a look at Happy Go Lucky, again, it is the most available of uh, the three movies that we have been talking about. Of course, both Naked and Secrets and Lies are only currently available to stream on the Criterion channel. But once again, a reminder, um, they do offer a 30-day free trial if uh, you want to check that out. But you don't have to worry about that with Happy Go Lucky. Um, it is um, available for free um, on a service called Hoopla. Um, and it is available to rent or buy on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, the Microsoft Store, and the PlayStation Store. Interesting thing about Hoopla, I didn't know about this until I was doing research about it. It apparently is, um, if you pay attention at all to the um, to the, the Facebook page, there is um, uh, a, a service called Canopy, uh, which uh, was a free streaming service for basically if you have a, a New York public library subscription, Canopy was a service that you could access to stream titles that are available in their catalog. Canopy is unfortunately... Uh, going to be closing down or, or at this point maybe or closed down just because of lack of funds, which is um, a, a, an entirely separate conversation that I'll save for later, but it is heartbreaking. And Hoopla, but it seems to be basically the same thing. Um, I, I, don't, I don't, it's not specifically regional for New York City, but Hoopla is kind of, um, I think it might be in the Midwest or, or maybe it is a regional thing as well, but Hoopla is also an interesting service because if you do have a library subscription, library subscription, that's not the right word for library membership subscription. Membership. membership. Thank you. <laughs> if you have a library membership, you are able to access Hoopla um, and rent titles from there as well. I haven't explored it in too much detail because um, I, geez, I need to get a library card. I don't think I have one. Yes, we've talked about that. Yeah, we have. Well, anyway, um, so I have not attempted to, to log into it because I do not have a library card. But um, if you do have one, whether you're in New York or Chicago or L.A. or wherever, 
try it out. See if you can get in and uh, and and email me. I am actually curious about this service as well. I suppose I could do it on my own, but um, it's my podcast. I'm going to make you guys do it instead. So um, that does it for Happy Go Lucky and for August, and thus uh, for Mike Lee as well. Um, I am always curious to hear what you have to say about individual episodes, about themes, um, or maybe what your opinion is on my dulcet tones. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, it's easy enough. You can always email me at you do movies badly at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at Nolan Fixes teeth uh you can catch up on back episodes of i do movies badly on battleship if you just go to the podcast drop down menu and find i do movies badly where you can also then chime in on the comment fields which some people take advantage of and i always enjoy um getting those kind of interactions uh i do movies is also where you can find some of my stuff and you can also find an itunes where you're free to chime in with ratings and comments as well so um, that is, of course, the end of the month, which means that I'm uh, now supposed to tell you what is coming up for next month, except I can't do that because I haven't actually planned anything for September yet. So, as, as, as always the case, please pay attention to uh, the Facebook page because when I get that settled down, I will post it there and you'll know what is coming up for the month of September. So, um, thanks for listening uh, for this one. Thanks for listening to this month. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to a different guest about a different filmmaker, which is, as of this moment, a mystery. But one thing is for certain, I will definitely be a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.